think that is the really magical thing about literature, right? Is it, it has the capacity to move people in ways that I think simple news headlines or facts can't. Hello, everyone. This is Will from Beijing, China, and welcome to the special episode of The Missing Piece. Now, if you are following our social media and you know we have some exciting news coming up, The Missing Piece is going to partner up with the American Embassy in Beijing for the upcoming literature festival. This is so amazing, and that's why we are dedicating some of the episodes to invite amazing authors, speakers, and panels. Join our show, like today's guest, and she's going to share her latest work and how the literature it's bringing readers and audience across the continent. Tipping Chen is a fiction writer and journalist whose debut collection of short stories called "Land of Big Numbers" is available in Amazon now. Tipping, welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this is very exciting. Again,、um, this is your first. Collection of short stories, so I'm sure that a lot more people are interested in hearing about the book. So, can you tell us? Let's start with the title, "Land of Big Numbers." I know this book covers a lot more stories happen in China when you were living in China. Why did you decide to name the book this way, "Land of Big Numbers"? What is the purpose? Yeah. Well, I think from a distance, a lot of readers think of China as just that, right—a land of abstractions. Of you know, people think about population, GDP statistics,、mm. and I think so that the title is intended to be sort of a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek, playful nod to that fact. And you know, of course, what the collection really is trying to do is get beneath the surface and really tell very human stories, you know, at a much more intimate level、um, to allow people. Deeper sorts of ground level peaks into some of the stories that you know lie behind some of those numbers. Well, tipping, if I'm not mistaken, you used to live and travel in Beijing and Hong Kong. Of course, I mean uh, uh, the same thing as what you did is I used to travel internationally, and every time I visit. I visited China. It was just so surprising and shocking <laughs> how fast. Not only the city, but the entire country changed. Yeah. So, can you tell us throughout all the journeys and travels, what did you notice about the changes in China? Well, how about something that really inspire you or give you the motivation to say, "Hey, this is something I think people should know, or、um, the readers should understand outside China." Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. I had a friend who used to say China was the one place where you could truly time travel, just because things, first of all, you know, moved at <laughs> such a, a crazy speed.、Um, so if you stay, you know, stay like a month, and it could be like a year.、Um, but also, just to say, as you travel through the country, right, you can go from villages which haven't changed in more than half a century to cities like Shanghai, which feel, you know, so futuristic. To you know, cities that are sort of、um, 
second or third tier cities that feel very much like they're still stuck in the 80s mm. it's just and everything in between it's um it's such an incredibly visually rich place uh, everywhere you know and of course the kinds of voices and characters that you encounter as a journalist for me were just so incredibly i mean you know, I would finish reporting a story and mm. everything that I encountered in the course of reporting one story, you know, the the ride over, what I saw on the way, you know, a photograph on somebody's table, a side conversation that might have been totally incidental to the story I was reporting, but just stuck in my mind. And so many of those characters and voices were the ones that really came to animate the writing of Land of Big Numbers. And so readers will meet every everything from everyone from a, a, a rural inventor who's who's set out to try and build an airplane um, to robots who chop noodles to funeral strippers and striving college students and you know ret- retirees in and out of love and everyone in between it was uh, for me right getting to write this book just felt like I, you know, I had really just as a reporter for the Wall Street Journal which is you know a role I, I held for many years based in mm. Beijing and before that had lived in um, in cities like Chengdu and Harbin I mean I just I had felt so much living in the country and I think what I <laughs> what I'm trying to do in Land of Big Numbers is to bring forth a lot of sides of the country that people from a distance might have a harder time accessing and also trying to pay a tribute to the country too and just sort of all of its many layers of complexity and and humor and beauty and as you say also surprise too just every single day I feel like there's something different and it's always changing. Well, Tipping, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of selecting and choosing the content. But again, the next question I want to ask, and I believe a lot more international journalists, uh, um, they also um, have the same question in their mind when they're writing about China is, Tipping, if you, if you and I, we can take a, a walk down the street, there could be so many fascinating things happening just by the minute. But, it, but again, but when it comes to the content to the book, what are the strategies really help you or that you, you believe that this is, will be the, something that um, so interesting or so unique? Because how can you use one book to fit in everything and then so the, the, the audience or the readers to say, wow, I didn't really see this coming or I didn't really know this is happening? I mean, again, well, what is the process for you to select all the stories or to select something so interesting and decide to put in the book? How, how would you even uh, experience the procedure? Yeah, I do think, you know, as a journalist, I think so much of what you write about is, it is very much prescribed by the news cycle, right? And for me, fiction was very much getting to think about the country, this country that I had spent so much time in, and just sort of let those characters and and voices and images that had really seared themselves into my memory and let those kind of bubble up and guide the writing of the stories in a lot of ways and so sometimes it might be something as small as a detail that I'd heard overheard maybe in a restaurant you know mm. years ago like that was the origin point for for example the title story land of big numbers um, traces its origins to a conversation I overheard in a restaurant which a pair of guys were talking about a young um, government bureaucrat who had been speculating in the stock market using money he embezzled from the government and they were so pleased by what he'd done because they thought it was so clever because the stock market kept going up and he kept putting the money back and you know he would use money 
and make profits off it and then return the money. And so no one was really being cheated. And um, it was just a really small passing moment, something that just had lodged itself in my memory. I kept thinking, you know, who would be this guy doing this and what happened to him? Right. And there were so many other moments like that, that, that ended up animating the writing of these stories, just little episodes, capsule, you know, for summaries that I might've stumbled across, I'm thinking of, you know, for example, in local media, right? Like I, I remember so vividly as a, as a foreign correspondent in Beijing, I mean, a lot of what you end up doing in the mornings is, is going through all the local papers mm. and trying to suss out, right? The news of the day. I'm sure you're obviously very familiar with doing the same when you're in the States. And, and I just remember encountering repeatedly these stories of these rural inventors that were building these wildly ambitious things in the countryside and often for whatever reason, airplanes. And it wasn't the sort of thing that was going to become a news story, but it was such a human story. It was such a fantastic human story Mm. to try and think about who this, this kind of elderly farmer would be that would be building such an airplane, a contraption that he'd never even ridden before. And so that was also, you know, that also became a story in the book. And so, and so many I, I think, you know, every single story really had its origin point in kind of a moment like that, right? Or, and in some cases also a question. I remember one one of the stories that, um, the one that closes the book, Gubango Spirit, was just the starting point for that one. It's a story about these commuters who get stuck underground in a subway tunnel and denied permission to leave for bureaucratic reasons. It's um, mm. sort of a satirical, very surreal story. And the starting point for that one was just, I remember coming home from, um, an event on the subway um, and looking around these fluorescent lit faces and thinking, you know, what would happen if we got stuck mm. and just letting, yeah, you know, that, that's sort of a, a story that was written around one particular kind of question. Um, me trying to figure out just basically throwing characters in the situation, seeing what would happen. And um, some stories were like that. So sort of experiments that ended up becoming bigger philosophical kind of explorations of questions and others. Yeah. were very much driven by just things that I had seen in my time, both as a reporter and also as a student mm. um, living in the, in the country that just, again, were unforgettable for me and, and, just seemed like stories that demanded telling. Well, Tipping, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, um, it's a great honor to have you on the show because we're actually um, very excited to have speakers and panels like you for the literature festival, and um, it's going to happen in Beijing uh, very soon. But this is something so interesting. When we talk about literature, I don't know about you, but every time when I travel throughout China or maybe just walk down the street in Beijing or in Shanghai, I tend to pay attention to the younger generations. And I believe throughout the years, there are so many books that dedicated or even cover the stories that how the younger generations in China are actually changing the country in a big way. Now, coming back to um, your book, literature, a lot more younger people people who are interested in uh, to, uh, uh, reading about the books or literature or, you know, whatever the content they can find to actually discover more about their own country. So in other words, they're using um, other books or from other media outlets or other countries to understand how China is running today. So the question to you, Tipping, is when while you're living in, uh, in Beijing or you're traveling in, throughout China, what did you notice something about the younger generations? And, and wasn't there something special about this group of people? 
<laughs> I I mean, I, I have to say as a journalist, I love writing about every group of age group in China and, and in Land of Big Numbers. I mean, that's why you'll see some of the characters, of course, are quite young and, you know, college age. And, you know, we meet a young migrant worker working in a Shanghai flower shop. You you see voices that end of the spectrum. Um feeling all kind, you know, everything from people who are very much politically disaffected to those who are much more idealistic. Um, but also, I, I mean, I really loved getting to write some of the older voices and characters in the book, too, where, uh, you know, there's one one story that's set in Beijing hutongs that um, really, for me, conjures up a lot of those very distinctive voices that you hear among <laughs> kind of the retired gossipy set. Um centered around a magical fruit that comes and transforms a neighborhood. And I love getting to write those characters. Mm. Um, I, I really enjoy, yeah, just getting to inhabit all those different sorts of voices and experiences and also getting to write about where they brush up against each other, right? And where, where you have that friction inside of families, as we see in some of these stories. Um, just because, you know, when we are talking about two different groups with such a gap of experience in, you know, the economy and politics and China's position in the world, uh, there is there's just such human conflict and misunderstandings that are there um, underlying a lot of the love as well. And so I, I really enjoyed getting to explore some of some of those relationships and, and tensions. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I but I, I think you're right. It is, it is of course a really unique generation that has seen the country go through an extraordinary period of time and are the ones ultimately that will be charting its future. Right. Let's get to um, a little bit more on your book. And if I'm not mistaken, there are two stories that you mentioned in your book. One is called Feel Notes on a Marriage, and another one is called A Beautiful Country. It's actually about Chinese-American relationships. Now, I'm sure that you do, and of course, a lot more people are <laughs> uh, living in China that we're looking at this, what we call international relationship or international marriage. So they, so the couple, I uh, say either of the spouses is American or the other uh, spouse is, uh, is Chinese, but, the, but it seems to be more interesting to really to see today how the two cultures integrated into this relationship. And meanwhile, that they're living in this land and where they're living in this country can be very challenging for them. So in other words, can you talk about what made you decide to talk about this Chinese-American relationship, um, maybe as a friendship or maybe as a couple? Why did you decide to cover um, this topic? And that's number one. And number two is, how interesting do you think that could be relevant or that could relate it to the audience in China? Hmm. Yeah, well, I was, I, in writing those stories, I mean, for me, when I was writing Land of Big Numbers, I was really, you know, trying to conjure up, and I was really setting the stories in places where I was familiar. And so some of those landscapes, like in beautiful country, right? Um, and feel notes on a marriage set in variously, um, you know, we meet a couple on a road trip in the Grand Canyon. We see a city um, in California. Those are just places that are very familiar to me. And, and the kinds of characters that are at the center of those relationships, I felt very well acquainted mm. with. And so that's partly why I was writing them. They're just, um, they're very much a part of my own sort of psychological lexicon. And they felt like voices I knew well. And so it was just 
natural to write them. And I think also, too, when you're thinking about the China story, of course, it is one that so much of it takes place abroad. And um, writing about the diaspora seemed just like a really natural thing to do. Um, they're also it's also, um, you know, kind of group of people that I've spent a lot of time interviewing over the years. Um, and so also felt like very familiar kind of um, voices to try and bring to life in these stories. And, I, and more broadly, as some, as a fiction writer who's really interested in how people project onto each other, mm. uh, project desire and idealism, and also how people misunderstand each other. I, I mean, I think those stories are, of course, um, I mean, they're relationships that are cross-cultural and have cracks in them. And their relationships in which people deeply misunderstand each other. And that's, you know, when we see the, the the wife go on this journey back to China to try and understand her husband. And ultimately, well, I don't want to give any spoilers, but it, it, and everything is more complicated than she expects. And I think that's just true of life. And I think just as humans, you know, no matter where we come from, um, even if we grew up in the same household, we live side by side as we see in some of these stories. I mean, we can, even as we love each other, we can misunderstand each other really deeply. And just that tension and poignancy, especially in the context of a romantic relationship, um, is something that I just, that it just fascinates me um, to explore. And, you know, it's something that I found um, sometimes, yeah, of course, as I said, like poignant and also a feeling of wistfulness in writing some of these relationships where you can see that um, in some ways that they're doomed. But I also think that there's a seed of beauty there too, because you can also see the people really trying to make it work, even when the reader sometimes can see that things may not go as maybe the characters would want. And tipping again, going back to the question is, you cover a lot more stories uh, in the book of the land of big numbers about China and this is a question might sound uh, silly, but I still want to ask is, Tipping, why do you think a Chinese reader should be interested in your book? So in other words, again, this is, we we're, were having this podcast and for the literature festival. And again, it's so exciting to have such a young and uh, energetic and, of course, observant uh, uh, writer like you to join the, uh, uh, the, the festival. But again, the question is, why, why should a Chinese reader or why should the audience or readers in China be interested in your book? What can they learn or what can they find out by reading your book? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know that the answer would necessarily, like, I think every reader is going to take something very deeply different away from the book. And that's part of what has been so um, extraordinary. Having the book be out in the world is just hearing such an outpouring from readers. Um, about all the different ways that it has struck them, right? Like some readers have come away feeling that they learned a lot about some politics in China and other readers have come away really struck by uh, a feeling of just the, the, the romantic uh, relationships and um, the chronicling of those and, and how that was moving them. And, and I will say from Chinese readers, what I've um, felt really grateful to hear the feedback is just, I mean, I, I, I obviously this can't, generalize what I think Chinese readers might take away from the book, but I do know the ones that I've heard from them, and some of them have just said that it felt very powerful to to read stories that felt in some ways true to the country and surprising in ways that they might not have imagined. I think that some of the readers I've heard from have definitely um, pointed to the use of magical realism in the collection as as um, something that, you know, that, that, that um, 
I was using to try and explore some sort of some social and political questions in ways that I know a number of readers, you know, have found. Like I've gotten notes from people saying, like, you know, I read that story, New Fruit, set in Beijing, about memory and this magical new fruit that comes to transform a neighborhood and releases all these, you know, start changing people's lives and just saying that you know, they cried, that they felt like it was it was truthful in a way that um, they hadn't encountered elsewhere. And to me, is I mean, that was just incredible. That has been incredibly moving to hear because when I was writing these stories, I mean, I really wasn't sitting back and thinking, well, you know, what will so-and-so in X location take away from the collection? Because really for me, I was just writing these stories in some ways. I was almost mm. exercising them from my system, right? Like I, I wrote them as someone who had spent an enormous amount of time in the country thinking about it, um, really being challenged by it and really coming to love so much of it and trying to capture all of that complexity really in these stories, but not with any expectation or, or hope that other people would be reading them. Well, again, tipping, it's understandable. You know, the funny thing is every time, whenever I get a chance to pick up a book, um, from a, from a bookstore in America and to read about American histories or about the American society today, and then I begin to share with people to say, hey, listen, someone wrote a book about, you know, the society happened in America today, or this is, it's actually taking place. Most of the time, some people say, wow, I didn't even know that. And remember, these are American mm -hmm. audience, and they would say, oh, I didn't know yeah. this is happening in my country, or I didn't know uh, uh, this part of the history actually uh, existed uh, uh, throughout Absolutely. American history. So I think that yeah. I think it's understandable that I agree with what you said. It's a lot more people, when they pick up a copy, or uh, when they pick up the book, uh, like the, uh, um, the Land of Big Numbers, they are able to discover or they might be surprised about yeah. something that they don't know about the country they're currently living in right now. I think this is a very interesting um, perspective. Tibi, let's go I to the... that's true. I, I, yeah, no, I was just going to say, as a journalist, I mean, I remember hearing from Chinese colleagues frequently, like, oh, wow, you're, you are picking things to write about that I never would have found interesting. Right? Exactly and, right. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure you have that experience in America as well. Just what what is seems every day um, to people um, who are from a place may seem just extraordinary um, to to those who are not from that place. Well, absolutely. Well, Tipping, let's move on to the next part. Again, we know that, again, you touch on a little bit regarding the relationship, politically speaking, between China and America, and we know the story. And of course, in this episode, I'm not going to go through the entire uh, uh, the journey or the, <laughs> the comp complication of the relationship politically. But right now, again, let's go back to the audience. A lot more people in China, they're still very much interested in knowing more about America or about the history or even um, a society today. <clears throat> excuse me, by using, uh, by, by reading the books or, you know, um, articles or whatsoever the resources they can find. Now, the question to you, Tipping, is how helpful do you think that can be? Because, again, right now, because the pandemic and because the complication that we can't actually travel internationally, but a lot more people, especially younger generations, and they are very much interested in knowing uh, what's happened in America, or the unique stories uh, about the war, about the country, you know, the culture. Now, how helpful or how useful do you think for them to pick up the book and or any literature and begin to dive into it, so that their visions can be enlarged, or their understanding uh, um, can be much better? Yeah, I think that is the really magical thing about literature right is it it has 
the capacity to move people in ways that I think simple news headlines or facts can't. I mean, I was I was a reader growing up who I just remember so vividly, you know, assembled my sense of the world and my place in it through fiction, through books, through literature. And I, you know, during my time in China, I was always struck by how much, of course, you know, the average person in China knows and understands about American society. Um, and I was also struck by how radically those simple facts, whether it was related to gun culture mm. um, or parts of the American political system, how completely they also seemed to miss the mark when it came to what it actually felt like to live in the country. <laughs> and, you know, something can literally be true about a place, but it can entirely miss in some ways, you know, what is at the core. And I think that, of course, is what is, um, you know, the, the hope behind Land of Big Numbers in a lot of ways is that it can help bring people in some ways inside of um, a country and a place. And I, in, in a way that um, goes beyond uh, news headlines. And I and I, I think the same is true if you pick up a book set in any country. Um, that's, you know, you, you hope to be transported, you hope to be brought inside of people's homes mm. um, to walk side by side with these characters and get to know people whose lives might look from the outside very different from yours. But once you spend time with them on a page, you realize they're, you know, perhaps not so different. Yes, I agree with you, Tipping, because in general, people always say we are the product of the environment. And I think today, every single country, it's internationalized. And it doesn't matter if you're living in China or if you live in America or in Switzerland or in Iceland. I think things are happening overseas can also be mirrored around us. I mean, this is the way I understand it. And of course, and we always say, uh, plus today, uh, a lot more people travel internationally and they can really bring this comparison and contrast together. To being, I got two more questions before letting you go. I know you're fairly busy. Sure. The next question I want to ask is, when you, uh, throughout the entire writing journey and the process, was there someone or anyone that, really give you more inspiration or you're motivated because of the person? Do you have anyone in your mind? Hmm. That's a, that's a hard question. I don't think I had a particular single person who set these stories into motion. I, I, I think it really was, you know, a lot of so many of them, um, so many voices and people that I met felt privileged to meet during my time in China. Mm. Um, people who opened their homes to me, folk who I was lucky enough to meet as a reporter, and sometimes you know they became intimate friends. People who I might have met just in passing and travels, and just again all these indelible, truly indelible people who mm. I met who impressed me so deeply in my time in China too. Like and I, I think and hope those are some of the characters who really, um, you know, when, when readers come away from the book that they'll remember is the ones who just to me embody what is so much of what makes modern China so distinct is, you know, that, that kind of incredibly restless propulsive energy, that feeling of pragmatism married to this at the same time, sometimes over the top sense of ambition and desire to achieve, um, all of that, like this, yeah, this 
this kind of creativity and resilience that you see and encounter so much that is just part of the fabric of everyday life. So that to me is a lot of what I had in mind when writing mm. some of these stories and, and what I hope ultimately, you know, the reader comes away struck by in addition to, of course, everything else that is woven into the book. Great. And the last question I want to ask, and of course, on behalf of a lot more writers today, not only in China, but also in America, is tipping. A lot more uh, uh, people, especially younger generations, who are still uh, trying or they are thinking about writing something um, about China or about any other countries, but they are so afraid of, how can I say, uh, my story won't be read by the people, or maybe my story, it's not that as interesting as I thought. So, w w would you mind giving some encouragement, or some of your, um, the best I ideas, or uh, something that, that really can motivate them keep going? Because we know that writing is not easy, and let alone um, getting your stories published. So, what would you say to the people that who are still uh, on the verge of... You know, I'm gonna say struggling with writing a book, yeah. or uh, or really thinking about uh, trying to tell their unique stories um, to the world. So, what's your what's your best advice yeah. for them? I mean, so much that you could say, but since you asked, you know, especially for people who feel like they might be struggling and and trying to figure out a way to make their voice heard when when it can feel like there's such a cacophony out there. I mean, I would say. I think, and it, is, it does feel a little bit contradictory because, of course, you know, if you're writing and you and you want your story so badly to be heard, um, this this may sound, I don't know, if it's something that, that readers or that writers would want to hear, but I, I do think it's, you know, write, write, don't even think like write for yourself, don't don't write for other people because, ultimately, for me at least, I know if if I was trying to write for a committee or for a certain imaginary mm. readers, it would just be, it would just be a chorus of censors in my head. And I think ultimately you have to write the stories that, that burn, you know, that keep you up at night, that, that won't let you let them go. And, and the only, because that's ultimately what gets you through the woods um, is that feeling that the stories are urgent and that they need to be told. And until you write them down, you'll, You'll just feel a little bit, yeah. I mean, I think for me, uh, until I wrote Land of Big Numbers, um, I felt in some way, you know, just getting to write this collection was like getting to be released in some ways from this mm. enormous psychic burden of all these stories kind of pent up inside of me. And I, and I think so to the extent that you can think about, you know, just stay focused on something that you desperately need to read and write, like that is what will carry you through. Wow. Well, Tipping Chen is a Wall Street Journal correspondent in Philadelphia who was previously based in Beijing and Hong Kong, of course, and she's the uh, author of the new book, Land of Big Numbers. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in our show. And of course, I was very honored and very uh, uh, excited to have Tipping Chen join our episode. And again, if you're interested, please I encourage you to go online and get a copy of her book, Land of Big Numbers. And you are going to find a lot more interesting and unique stories. And meanwhile, I strongly encourage everyone to continue to follow our podcast. Because again, this is only one of the exciting episodes for the uh, Literature Festival. Again, please feel free to explore more. And we're going to have more amazing, fantastic authors and speakers and panels during our show. 
But overall, again, Tipping Chen, thank you so much for taking your time and good luck to you. And we wish that more and more readers, not only domestically, but internationally, are going to appreciate the land of big numbers. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been so kind.